you know that life is crazy, and that's why we're going through this series talking about a field guide for living in an insane world. And there's all sorts of different things that are crazy about life. I don't need to give you the whole list of all the stuff that is crazy, but life is crazy. And we want to be able to navigate through life. We want to be able to navigate through choices that we have to make. Is this right? Is this wrong? What do I do in this situation? We want to be able to navigate through our relationships and seeing that they're healthy and strong and able to endure and able to be joyful. We want to be able to navigate through raising kids. We are pretty much every other day, I think a new baby is born at True Life. And we want to be able to know how do we raise kids well. We want to be able to face difficulty and navigate through the challenges that come at us in life. We want to be able to navigate life and say, man, I'm living well. I've got joy in my life. And there's different ways to think about navigating through something. There's different ways to think about a guide. One way to think about a guide or navigating through something is that you need a map or you need instructions. You say, okay, if I follow these instructions, if I follow this map, then I can kind of get through things. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a place or tried to kind of navigate something with a map and you really don't know what you're doing, but you're like, okay, is it this way? Do I look this way? How does it kind of work? It can be kind of confusing. It can be helpful, but it can be kind of confusing. Another way to think about navigating through something is that you are a guide. You are the experienced one. You actually know how to get through something. I don't know if you've ever paid a guide. I know some of you have done certain hikes and different things where you've paid a guide or maybe even just doing a tour at a museum or something and you took the guided tour or something like that and you pay someone who is the guide. They know what they are doing. They are an experienced person. And so I want you to think about those two different things when you think about a field guide or you think about kind of traversing and navigating through the difficulties and the challenges and the decisions of life is there's two different ways. There's the instruction map way and there's the you are a person that is a guide and actually has internalized and knows how to traverse through something. Ultimately, that's what we want. We don't just want to have to live through life going, okay, what do I do now? Okay, what do I do now? We want to be able to live through life such that the wisdom of God has gotten inside of us and it's internalized so that we know what to do. We know how to live. It's not just that we're following instructions, but we've become a different kind of person. That's what we're aiming for. That should be our goal in thinking about how to live through an insane world is how do I not just follow a map, but how do I become a different kind of person that can navigate. So the world's influences come at you, temptations come at you, difficulties come at you, looking at life and thinking about how you can make a difference comes at you, and you say, I know how to traverse this. I have been shaped. That's our goal. So how do we do that? How do we grow and develop to become a kind of person that can navigate through life, someone that matures to be able to live through life. And there's a lot of different helpful things that we could talk about, but this passage gives us a vision here of growth, vision here of growing into the kind of person that can navigate through life. So let me read this section to you, and then we'll look at the vision for growth that Paul presents to us. 1 Corinthians 3 says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, Are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants 
nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. But God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. So we're looking at how to become the kind of people that can navigate through the world. Paul gives us this vision of growth. Let's start with the challenges of growth. What, what makes growing to be the kind of mature person that can navigate through this world, what makes that difficult? What are the challenges of growth? Now, what has happened, and if you've been here, you've kind of seen this so far. If not, just give you kind of a brief recap, but what has been happening that Paul's been addressing really since the opening in kind of different ways is that these people believe, the church in Corinth, they believe that they are wise. They believe that they are mature. They believe that they have arrived, that they are spiritual, that they have wisdom. They, they believe that's who they are. And so Paul has had to spend this time correcting them saying, you think you're wise, but it's the world's wisdom, and that's being displayed in your boasting and in your pride, and you're buying into the world's values. You think you've got values, but they're not God's values. You think that you're spiritual, but you're the wrong kind of spiritual. He's, he's had to correct them, and he's doing that again here. They think that they are wise. They think that they are mature, but they're not. And that's often the case. Oftentimes, the most immature people think that they are mature. Oftentimes, those that most are in need of growth think, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need any progress. I'm good. They feel like they don't need to learn anything else. They feel like they don't need to read anything else or get any counsel or ask any questions or submit to somebody outside of them. They, they don't think that they need anything else. They think they are good. That is one of the signs of immaturity, is thinking you've actually arrived and are fine. This is one of the challenges, is that oftentimes you may think, I'm totally fine, but there's a bunch of blind spots in your life that you don't see. And if you're not willing to have a posture that says, I want to keep growing, I want help, I need others, I need God, I need his word, I need to ask questions, I need to develop... If that's not your posture, you'll say exactly where these people were, which is, I'm fine. I'm spiritual. I'm wise. I'm mature. We should assume that there's continual need for development in our lives. We should assume that. One of the things I love is talking to people that have been Christians for a long time and still say, yeah, man, I need to learn that more. I need help in this area. Man, I'm still asking God to work in my heart in this. That shows a sign of maturity. Is that where you are? Is that how you view your own life? One of the challenges of growth is thinking we're totally fine. When the reality is we can be stuck. The reality is there might be glaring things that are wrong in our life. This is perhaps one of the most insulting passages in the New Testament. All the things that he says, he calls them people of the flesh. He calls them babies. I mean, he just straight up says, you're a bunch of babies. I mean, that's, I don't think I've ever had an opening line in my sermon where I said, you know, brothers and sisters, you are babies. 
that's never really come out. You're not ready. Again, you're not ready. You are worldly. Are you not worldly? Aren't you behaving like mere humans? Aren't you acting like mere humans? I mean, he's loading up in this passage a bunch of insults, holy insults, but insults nonetheless. He's an apostle, so you're like, yeah, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, but still, if they got that letter, I mean, the way that these letters worked is they would read them in front of the church. So it's like, oh, we got a letter from Paul, everybody. Oh, that's so good. What does he say? He says, your babies. Oh, that's kind of hard. Uh, He's not over yet. You're worldly, and you're just a human, a mere human. Oh, man. Oh, wait, one more thing. You're worldly, he repeats himself, and you're a mere human. Oh, man. That's how it would happen. So it is insulting, especially when their view of themselves is, we're mature, we're wise, we're very spiritual. That's their view of themselves. And Paul's like, no, you are wrong. Your immaturity is shown in the fact that you think you're mature, when in actuality, you are stuck. You're stuck. You're a baby. You're worldly. And when he says that I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready and you're acting as these babies, that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that yes, yeah, so Paul could only give them these basic teachings like the gospel, and they weren't ready for these deeper things. Sometimes what happens is Christians think, and this is actually what's kind of going on here, they would believe you know, the stuff that Paul is giving to us is just milk. It's, eh, we want something better. And Paul is saying, no, actually, the gospel, which Paul says in the previous passage that we looked at, that he, he wasn't going to do anything besides the gospel. He says, I, I, I knew nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. What Paul is not saying is, well, that's the basic teaching, and I wish I could move on to deeper things showing you who the Antichrist is or the end times. Or sometimes Christians think like, oh, that's the, that's the real stuff. We have to study the deep stuff. That's what we really need. Paul's saying, no, the gospel is milk for babies. And the gospel is meat for adults. It's enough for everything. But you are not the kind of person that could receive it. The problem is them acting as babies no matter what Paul gives to them. The problem isn't Paul's content that he's giving to them. The problem is them and their reception of it. That they, what Paul gives, they're not ready to to actually digest it. It's like giving a steak to a baby. They're like slobbering all over it. They're, They're not ready to digest. Here's how the gospel affects all of your life. Even though they think that they are mature, they're not ready to digest. How does the, yes, the gospel saves us, but the gospel is also the thing that allows us to keep growing and and changing in our life, but they're not willing to digest it. They don't want to receive it. They're not allowing it to get inside of them and affect their life as it should. The problem is their reception, not Paul's content. And how do you know? How do you know that that you are, how do you know if you are stuck and not growing? How do we know in general what is a sign of a lack of growth? Oftentimes, when we think about someone that maybe is immature or not growing as a Christian. Our mind, it might go to different things, but a lot of times we think it's knowledge-based. So you look at people that have a lot of knowledge and go, wow, they're really mature. They've really grown a lot. You look at people that don't know so much and you go, uh, they, they, they're not really growing. And Paul says they are babies. They're worldly. They're acting like mere humans. And where it shows up is not in their knowledge mainly, but where it shows up is their relationships. There is envy and strife among you. That's the sign. The sign of immaturity shows up first in your relationships. That's where you see, am I growing? I have known people that know a lot of Bible. They have a lot of Bible knowledge and their relationships are a mess. Your maturity is not necessarily connected to your knowledge. Oftentimes, it can actually be the reverse of that. 
you've gained a bunch of knowledge and you're arrogant and puffed up and your relationships are all messed up and you think everyone's stupid and there's envy about how much these people know and conflict because you're fighting about what you know and what they know. And We have to look at our relationships. He is saying that they are babies. And if you think about babies, their relationships aren't that great because they're selfish, right? Babies are selfish. Everybody knows that. They just say, they cry. They just want you to come hold them all the time. If I did that, people would be like, something is wrong with you, right? Like, I need you to hold me right now and feed me. I'm just going to lay down and I want you to feed me, you know? Babies are selfish. They demand that you wipe them. They demand everything, right? They're selfish little people. And when they grow up a little bit, does that go away? No. The first word they learn is mine, right? (laughs) Mommy, mine, right? That's what happens. They're selfish. Now, that's just kind of how they're born, and they need, and it's okay as a baby, but he is calling them as adults. You're acting like spiritual babies. You are self-focused, and that is... You are acting like a child. It's envy and strife because it's self-focus, right? That's what happens when you're immature is you view the whole world as about you, which causes conflict. It causes envy. You want what that person has. Mine causes strife. You're not getting what you want. Wham, right? And that happens. It shows up mainly in our relationships. Maybe just do a a uh, baby assessment on yourself for a second. Do you get hurt really easy by others? Are you someone that is offendable? That you often feel slighted like people are doing something to you? You're often assuming you said this, you did this. Do you feel defensive often? about other people's comments or what, how people kind of interact with you? Do you feel like you need more attention? Why am I not getting recognized? Why am I not getting thanked? Why am I not getting appreciated? Why don't people see what I'm doing? Do you feel bitter even? Hurts that have happened and you still hold on to them. Do you struggle to forgive? Do you tend to look at what other people have and think, Why is it so hard for me, but what they have is going so well? Does conflict just kind of seem to follow you? It's not your fault, of course, but it was that person's fault, and it was that boss's fault, and it was that co-worker's fault, and it was that brother's fault, and it was that sister's fault. But you start to go, there's a lot of conflict around me. Does that seem to be evident in your life? Do you boast? Do you find yourself boasting? That was one of their self-focused things. Do you find yourself getting in little tiffs and arguments a lot? Now, those are a lot of different things, right? And you might, I don't know, check two out of ten on the baby quiz or whatever. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing that, that Paul's addressing, where he's saying, is there envy? Is there strife? Is there self focus. You might think you're mature, but it shows up in our relationships. The challenges of growth is often could be boiled down to just saying, we think we're fine, but we're immature. We think we're fine, but we're stuck. We think we're fine because of what we know, but our relationships are a mess. We think we're fine and even the problems that we have, we kind of go, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll work on them eventually. Sometimes that's maybe the problem. Because we think, yeah, I'm fine, but it's really not that big of a deal. Just need more time. Nobody's perfect. And Paul was in Corinth for about a year and a half. And then he was gone for about a year and a half. So it's been about three years since this church was started and he had been with them. And after, you know, maybe three years sounds like a long time to you. It doesn't seem like that long to me. After that amount of time, he expected that they would have made a lot of progress. He says to them, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. 
that still is doing a lot of work because Paul is saying, listen, it's, it, I expect a baby's a baby. I expect that a baby needs to be wiped and they're going to cry and they're going to whine and they're going to spit up. I expect that from a baby. But you are still acting that way. That's not, we don't expect that from adults, right? If I just spit up on myself and then just kind of kept going, no one would be like, yeah, you know, I guess he still kind of does that. No one would think that that was fine. And Paul is saying there is an expectation of growth that is present that's not happening. And I do believe that a lot of times for us, we kind of have an expectation of ourself that's really low. Oh, yeah, eventually I'll get to that. And yes, I do plan on working on some of those areas once my job settles down. I do plan on addressing some of those areas once my kids are a little bit older. I do plan on growing in some of those things once my kids are out of the house. I do plan on growing in some of those areas once I'm 90. I do plan on growing in some of those areas. Like We, we kind of have these very low expectations of ourselves and believe with the phrases, you know, no one's perfect and we're just human. Everybody's human, which is actually the negative of what Paul says. And Paul is saying, I'm expecting. I was there for a year and a half. And then I've been gone for a year and a half. You should have been grown by now. You should be mature by now. And maybe some of you need to hear that. I mean, Paul had to kind of write a, a passage laced with a lot of intense language, laced with a lot of insults in order for maybe some people to have to wake up. And maybe for some of you, you need to, to hear that to be challenged directly and say, some of you are babies. Some of you are still acting like mere humans and it's time to grow up. That's what Paul is saying. You should be grown by now. And some of you, that is what God's word is for you today. Some of you are still babies and you don't have to be. That's part of what this passage and it's in its intensity is intended to do. It's kind of wake us up a little bit and go, uh, okay, maybe that doesn't feel comfortable, but are there areas that you're still immature? Are there areas that you've been tolerating? And I'll get around to that at some point. Are there areas that you're ignoring and just like, yeah, it's, I'm still young. Are there areas where that's true? And the question would just be, so when, when are you planning on changing it? When are you planning on getting out of your diapers? When are, you, when are you going to change? Paul is saying, it's time. Don't stay where you are. So the challenges of growth, there's, there's many. But what he brings out here is this posture where we kind of just think, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And our own blindness and thinking that we're mature might be the key thing that actually keeps us from being mature. We need to humbly receive the gospel. We need to humbly receive, here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what he's done that affects my whole life. Humbly eat that as milk and then as meat that strengthens us. That's what we need to do. That's the challenge of growth. What is the vision of growth or what is it that God is aiming for in our life? There's challenges that keep us away from what God intends to do, but what is God's vision? I don't know if you ever think about that for your life. What is God's vision? What is he trying to do? What is he after? Why do we even have the, the Bible? And why do we come to church? And what is God trying to do? What is his goal, his aim, his direction, his focus? And, and again, that's a big question that could be answered with a lot of things. But here Paul gives us some of it. So just think about your life for a moment. Where are you at in your job? Where are you at financially? Where are you at in your marriage, your parenting, your family life? Where are you at in facing difficulty? Some of you are probably facing suffering and difficulty. Where, where are you at? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you at, uh, big word, but where are you at in your character, just as you think about your spiritual maturity and sins that are lingering? Or that where, I know there's a lot of different areas, but where do you feel like you are at? Do you feel strong? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel kind of stale or immature? Where do you feel like you are? 
And here's what God wants, wherever you are, whether you feel like, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, or you feel like you're doing awful, wherever you are, what God wants is growth. That's what God wants to give to you. And I love the language that he uses. He says, you are God's field, God's building. So this passage, and he's writing them, and he says, listen, here's what you are. You are God's field. You are God's building. Those are two different metaphors, but that are communicating the same reality. You think about a field, you walk into, if you see an empty field, just drive east. If you don't know what a field looks like, us city people, drive east, okay? You see a field, and a field that is empty, that's barren, that's, that's uh, fallow, if, if it's like that, it's not producing what it's supposed to produce. A field is intended to have a purpose. It's intended to produce something good. Wheat, apple trees, something. It's supposed to produce something good. Grass so the cows can eat, something, right? So a field has a lot of potential. You can go to a field and go, that's empty, that's just dirt. But what God sees when he looks out on a field, because God's the master farmer, what God sees is there's potential here. I can do something with this. For some of us, if you were given 10 acres in Nebraska, you'd go, I have no idea what to do with this. And for other people, if they were given 10 acres in Nebraska, they go, whoa, there's a lot that we could do. It probably involves corn, but there's a lot we could do, right? <laughs> there's some things that we could make happen. There's some whiskey that we could make from all that corn, right? Or something. Popcorn. We'll just keep it PG. Popcorn's a little edgy. It's PG, I guess. <laughs> could choke on it. Um, some people have corn allergies. Um, God sees a field and sees potential. God sees a field and says, I have a vision for this. I can do something here. Or a building, right? I don't know what it's like in your neighborhood. In my neighborhood, they're often kind of tearing down houses and then building a new house. Or when you kind of look around, uh, that, that happens all over. And when they start, it's just a hole. Just a big hole in the ground. They knock something down, and then usually they dig deep. It's like, wow, that's a big hole. And that feels like nothing. But God takes a hole and builds a building. He makes something amazing. That's what God sees. He sees empty fields and sees fruitfulness. He sees holes and sees homes. That's what God sees when he looks at your life. That's what God's vision is for your life. You are God's field. You are God's building. And God intends to do something amazing to create fruitfulness, to create something productive, to create something that makes fruit pies, to create something that is a home that people can gather in and enjoy. That's the building and that's the fruitfulness and the field. What would be the productive version of your life? When I say productive, I don't necessarily mean efficiency. I'm just talking about it's producing life. What would be the productive version of your life? What would be the built version, the fruitful version of your life, of your marriage? of your family, of your job? What's the fruitful, beautiful, fully built version? That is what God's aiming for. That is what God sees and what he's intending to do. So important because God is not trying to take anything from you. Sometimes when we think about growth, it feels restrictive, it feels legalistic, it feels like ah, God's taking these things away from my life. That's not the case. God is trying to build and plant something beautiful. And maybe even for some of you, you feel the barrenness, the dryness, the hole. You feel like that. Maybe you even have used that language. Life just feels kind of dry. It feels barren. It feels like I'm stuck. It feels like I'm in a pit. Maybe some of you, you see the rubble of your life. Maybe you're starting over. Everything's been mowed down. Maybe there's just desire for something that isn't right now. And God wants to build something there. That's what God wants. Whether from suffering or sin or whatever it is, when God looks at your life, God's vision is field. God's vision is a building that's built. That's what he desires to do. 
And, and not just individually. He also says, you are God's temple. You are God's temple. That's this collective. That's together as the church. He's not just talking individually. In their society, I don't know if you've ever, uh, most of us studied, you know, Greek history and that kind of thing, but it, their landscape is filled with all these temples. And so when God says, you are God's temple, so they're living in this society filled with all these temples, and they're this minority. But God says, you are God's temple, a place to enjoy God, a place to know God, a place to worship God and connect with God. You, the church, are God's temple. You are the place. You are where God can be known, enjoyed, experienced. You are the churches. God's not just working on individuals. He's building a society. He's building a kingdom. He's building a civilization. He's building a counter society. There's all these temples when you look out. And in our day and age, we don't have a lot of temples, but basically the same thing. All these places where people gather and worship different gods, different things that are really what are controlling their life. We have a city filled with temples. And Paul says, you are a counter society, a counter temple, a counter place that people can gather and know really who God is and really enjoy who God is. That's what the church is. It's a temple, a place to know and enjoy and experience God, which is why he says, I'll destroy anybody that messes with my temple. It's pretty powerful language. He says, I will destroy the person I'll destroy the person that destroys my temple. And he's talking about the church. He's not talking about a physical building. So God has this vision for your life and for the church, and he takes it very seriously, saying, I don't want you messing with what I'm doing. I don't want you messing with the temple that I'm building because it's a beautiful gift and a beautiful counter society that I want to create, that I want to give. And so if any of you are messing with that through your envy, through your strife, through your boasting, if any of you are messing with that temple that I'm trying to build, I'll destroy you. That's God's word. Because it's a beautiful gift that God wants to give to us. You are God's field. You are God's building. And we are God's temple, set apart for him. That's what it means when it says you are holy. You are set apart. You are God's society and temple that he is building. And he takes it very seriously. This is what the vision of growth is that God has. There's a lot of challenges to experiencing growth, but God has this vision of growth, a place, a people, a field, a building. And I, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, because when you think about the vision that God has for you, here's what you have to ask. When you think about any growth area in your life, I kind of listed a bunch of your job, marriage, parenting. Think about where is it that God's wanting me to grow? Okay, the reality is sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we do know, but we're scared. I don't know if I want to step into that. And it feels like God might take something from us. But you have to tr say, do I trust him? So this quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, that means vacation if you're not British, at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's such a great little snapshot to say sometimes we're, we, we, we're so happy to be playing with our mud pies in the slums and so afraid that God's going to take something from us, but really God is saying, no, you're, you're messing around with these dumb little desires that are actually mud. I want to give you something amazing. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I have a vision of beauty and strength and endurance and production and fruitfulness. I have a vision for you that's a holiday at sea. That's what I want for you. God's not trying to take anything from you, which is why you have to ask when we think about God's vision for our growth. Do I 
trust him. God has a vision for growth in your life and it will involve leaving things behind. And it will involve starting things and changing things. It will involve that. But you have to ask, do I trust him? Do I trust God and his intention and his heart, his farming abilities, his construction abilities? God's vision for your life is good. Trust him. Then finally, what are the methods of growth? You want to be able to navigate through life. We don't just want to follow a map. We actually want to become a kind of person that's a guide, that's internalized. These are some of the steps that lead to there, recognizing the challenges, seeing God's vision and trusting him. But also, how does this growth happen? Again, like all these, there's a lot of things of how growth happens. If you were at the Core Values class, we talked through some of that a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of ways, but here Paul shows us a few things that are helpful of how growth happens. And one of the things that might happen is we may start to think, okay, if I want to grow, then Paul doesn't matter. Apollos doesn't matter. Other people don't matter. Yeah, that's, isn't that what Paul said? That those people don't matter. If I want to grow, that doesn't matter. And the answer to that is no. The problem has been these people's heart, not the people that have been put in their life. The problem has been their pride and their selfishness and their babiness, not the means or methods that God uses. And there's at least three different methods that we can see that are here. The first is that God gives leaders for our growth. When he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? So when he says that, that's because that's kind of a natural question when he's starting to say, listen, you don't need to boast in these leaders. And so someone might go, you're right, I don't need to boast in these leaders. I'll just do this on my own. But Paul's trying to help them see, no, there is a role. What then is Paul? What is Apollos? Apollos was another leader and teacher that had come after him. And he says, each has the role the Lord has given. So one of the ways that God grows us is he assigns people specific roles. God is the one that put those people there. God said, I want this person here for you. We are God's co-workers, both Paul and Apollos. They're God's co-workers. That means God said, I want these people here to do my work. One of the methods that God uses to create growth in us is these leaders. And they are placed by him. They are gifted by him. And you see, he says, I've laid a foundation. Paul's talking about himself. I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. Each one is to be careful how he builds. So you see there that there's this skilled work. Paul's taking his job very seriously. And he's even making his own assessment that he's done a great job. I'm a skilled master builder. I don't know if I would you know, say, I'm a skilled master preacher, just so you know, uh, it's on my resume. But he says, I'm a skilled master builder. Each one is to be careful how he builds. So all of these things is saying, God has, God has gifted the people. He's placed them there. He gives them their role. He gives them their work. They are supposed to be working hard, working carefully, working diligently, working skillfully, working masterfully. They are even rewarded for their work. Paul says that some of the work that people do, and he uses this, the, the image of the, the different stones and says, some of the work that people do, will, if a fire comes, and the fire represented here is the day of judgment, the day that Jesus returns and there's judgment. On that day, if it was built correctly, that will, that will last. But if it was built with straw and hay and the other materials that he says, if it's built with those things, it won't last. And God will reward the labor that was done well that lasts. But what I'm just trying to point out here is this. One of the means or methods that God uses to create growth in us is the leaders that he gives to us. He places them there. He expects that they're working hard and diligently and with skill. He's even going to reward if it's been done well, which shows he cares about the quality of it. It shows how much God cares. The way that Paul describes his work and Apollos' work and how seriously that he takes it and they take it shows, man, God really cares about the growth of his people such that he's evaluating those that he places to work 
and be skilled laborers for his people. One of the things that God does, one of the methods that God uses for our growth that you will miss out on and not grow if you reject is the leaders that he gives to us. They are to work hard, carefully, skillfully. So we don't want to say, yeah, who's a Paul? Who's Apollos? I don't need that. Paul says he planted and Apollos watered. Paul planted the church. He leaves. Apollos comes later and waters. Again, a gardening, um, a agricultural metaphor. But we don't want to say, yeah, I don't need any seed. I have God. I don't need any water. I have God. Well, that's not really how plants work. Paul says, I planted. Apollos watered. If you want to grow, you have to receive the work that God wants to do for you through the leaders that he places. And this is mainly about the preaching ministry in the church. But it can extend to more than that. In the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul talks about that the body builds itself up in love as we speak the truth in love to one another. And so while this is mainly about the preaching ministry in the church, it's also true for everybody. Are you participating in speaking the truth in love in such a way that it is being built up? Are you one of God's co-workers that's participating with what he wants to build? Or are you somebody that's actually causing envy and strife and self-focus and selfishness? And God would say, stop, I'm trying to build something here and you can be a part of it. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians, that the body builds itself up in love, which is why any work that you are doing that is helping build up the church and helping build the people up into God's field and God's building really matters, deeply matters. The conversations you have with friends, the encouragement that you give, the correction that you might give to a friend, the, the counsel that you give from God's word to a friend, all of that stuff deeply matters and helps to build up God's field, God's building, God's temple. So the methods of growth, first, God gives leaders for growth or his word coming through people, including the body, but also God himself grows. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And you might feel like there's a tension between those things. Paul going on about how he's a master skilled builder and God's going to reward if the work is done well or not done well and his planting and his watering and then him saying, yeah, we're really nothing. Only God gives the growth. And there is kind of a tension there, but really it's just understanding how God works. God does things, but God uses means. God does things, but God uses methods but what Paul's point is, is because it's actually God that is doing the thing, God is actually, we are tools in God's hand. We're the shovel or we're the, we're the rake or we're the, I won't say hoe, but we're the, we're the you know, some, some form of tool. We're, we're one of those things. God's the one actually doing it. So the tool still matters, but we really know God's the one behind it. And that actually really helps because it relativizes a leader. It relativizes their ministry. doesn't mean it's unimportant, but it, when I say relativize, it means you know, okay, God's actually the one in control here. So don't have to have an unhealthy codependence on people. I need you. Well, no, this person's a tool. God's the one that's really behind it anyway. You need God. Yes, God's working through this person, but it helps get rid of an unhealthy codependence. It gets rid of an unhealthy boasting, which is what they were struggling with, saying this person, this person, and, and you can't learn from other people and you can't receive from other people. Like, no, I'm an Apollos person. Who cares what Paul said? Or I'm a Paul person. Who cares what Apollos? No, that, that's unhealthy also. You should be a God person and God's using Apollos and God's using Paul and God's using Peter and God's using these different ministers. We should be a God person. So it, it actually helps to say, yes, the leaders matter. That's one of the methods. But the ultimate thing is that God is the one growing. Without him, there is no life. It also helps because it shows that there's more than just the person. 
It's more than just your friend that's bringing you God's word from the Bible. It's more than me that's preaching the Bible. There's more going on than just these things that we see on a human level. There's more happening. God is involved. Now that's actually encouraging. Because if I got up every Sunday and felt like, okay, I'm going to do my best as a master skilled builder and we'll see what happens, I, I would have a lot less confidence than I have when I know, okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work hard like Paul says he did. But also, I believe that God gives growth. So I'm hoping, I'm expecting, I'm praying that God's going to do way more than just my words could do. And the same thing is what we should hope and believe when we're speaking to a friend, when we're speaking to someone in our community group. Okay, I don't know, you know, when I say something, who, I don't even know if it's going to make a difference. I don't even know if it's going to matter. But you should pray, God, would you give growth? God, would you do something? All I have is these little syllables and letters and I put them together with the best of my phonics ability and I'm putting them out there. But I hope God takes that and does something amazing. I hope God creates growth. That's what all of our hopes should be as we bring God's word into people's lives. And Paul says, yes, that's what God does. God gives growth. That should encourage us, not that just God wants a vision for your life, but that God can accomplish it. And God can do something in your life way more than I can do. God can do something in your life way more than your friend can do. God can do something. So if you've ever felt like, ah, I, don't, you know, I don't know about LTG, a life transformation group or community group, or I don't know about coming to church. It's just words. Who knows? God says, I can do something with those though. I create growth. It's not just that God wants to do it, but he's helpless. God can do things. God causes the growth. He's working. He's active. Which also should help us say, am I coming to God for growth? Am I asking him to do things? Even when you come here, are you asking God to do something? Are you asking God to create growth? As you are the recipient, Are you asking God, will you do something? And when you're giving, are you asking, God, I'm going to encourage this person. I'm going to pray for this person. But God, would you do something? I need you to do more than I can do. And even if you've got friends or kids or grandkids or whoever is in your sphere that you're concerned about, that you want more for, you want God's vision for, are you asking God to do something? Or believing it's all on you. You are a tool. You are a rake. You matter. But are you also saying, God, would you do something supernatural? We have to ask God. The methods of growth, first, God gives us leaders for growth and his word coming. That matters. But also, God is the ultimate method. He's the one doing stuff. And then finally, God sets the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul talks about, I planted, Apollos watered, but then he warns, no one should lay any other foundation. The foundation's already been laid, and that foundation is Jesus. No one should build on your growth in your, when you think, the reason I'm saying this is a method is because the method is God lays a foundation of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for you in the gospel. And anything that's built upon that, any other sermon, any other teaching, any other encouragement, any other thing that's built on a foundation that was laid has to be consistent with the foundation. Otherwise, it's actually hurting the building. And it's stuff that will be burnt up later. It has to be consistent with the foundation. God sets a foundation. The foundation of our faith is who Jesus is and what he's done for us. What Jesus has done for us which is why it's the fire tests the quality of each one's work if it's inconsistent with the foundation. Who Jesus is, his work for us on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed, that's the foundation. And it's not foundational as in, okay, now we can move beyond that to other things. It's foundational in the sense that it's laid there and everything else has to stay consistent. Everything else has to be in line with. If not, It's building in the wrong direction. The methods that God uses in our life for growth, 
He gives us leaders that bring God's word. He causes supernatural growth. And he gives a foundation on Jesus and things in line and consistent with that. Every, this is the milk and the meat. The foundation, maybe you could call it milk. But everything in line, consistent. How do I live affected by who Jesus is? How do I love others affected by who Jesus is? How do I parent affected by who Jesus is? How does my marriage operate affected by who Jesus is? Everything consistent with the gospel. Everything consistent with the foundation that's been laid. These are the methods of growth, which shows us that change is possible. I think some of you probably just need to hear that. Change is possible. God can work in your life. You don't have to stay stuck wherever you are. God does want to give you more, and he's committed to you. We want to navigate this world, become a kind of person that can navigate through all the different choices. That's what we want. Paul helps us see that to do that, we have to see the challenges, we have to see God's vision, and we have to operate within God's methods. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Communion is something that Christians do. Uh, If you didn't grab a communion cup on the way in, they're in the back, you can grab one of those. Communion is a time that we remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us, the foundation of our faith, the milk of our faith, and the meat of our faith. The foundation and the whole structure. That's what we want our lives to be rooted in, built on, consistent with, developing towards more fully. So as you take communion, thank him for the gift that he has given to you. Thank him for who he is and what he's done for you. And confess where you've been stuck. Confess where you've been a baby. Confess where you haven't participated in the building that he wants to do. Maybe you've even resisted. Confess where you don't trust him. And thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for his desire for you, his vision for you. That he is trustworthy and we see it in that he gave himself to us. He's not trying to take anything from you. He's already proved that he's given everything to you. And so we thank him. We take communion and we say, Lord, build my life on this. I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer. Take communion when you're ready and we'll respond in a few songs. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are trustworthy. You are good. You've given us a foundation to build our life upon. You are involved, you're powerful, you're working. God, I thank you that there is hope for all that you want to do. Let us trust you, let us come to you, let us set aside our pride and receive humbly the good that you are and the good that you have. In your name, Jesus, amen.